Hey there, Internet. It's Sunday night. We've just wrapped a presidential debate, and you know what that means. It's time for Stakes After Dark. I'm Holly Anderson, MTV's Director of Politics and News, coming to you from our Los Angeles studio, and I have a couple of very special guests with me tonight. Uh, One is actually a constant companion, our intrepid producer, Mukta Mohan. Hey, everyone. And the other, MTV's resident poet, all the way from Tennessee, just to watch this shit show with us, Marcus Ellsworth. Hi, Holly. It's a pleasure to be here with you and Mukta. Do you want to reintroduce the show, actually, by yourself in, in, your, in your special radio voice? If you want me to, I yes. I really do. Okay. Welcome to Stakes After Dark. <laughs> we need, like, a lightning machine in here. Like, That'd one of those, fantastic. like, thunder sheets that we shake. I mean, y- your voice just begs to have weather phenomena follow it everywhere. Oh, well, you know, that's why I do what I do. <laughs> <laughs> Internet, if you can't tell, we're in a pretty good mood tonight. We're feeling really loose, and... That's actually kind of a problem, and it's something I wanted to talk about tonight. We are, I think, coming out of this feeling not quite as demoralized about the state of the world as we were in the first debate. And that's not great, because it's not like this one was much better. It's just that we're used to it. You know, it's just that, like, so much of this campaign, so much atrocious behavior has been normalized by sheer volume and repetition that we don't really think anything of anymore having a presidential debate start with one candidate pledging to jail his political opponent. Yeah, I mean, this also having a debate start off with references to telling people to check out a sex tape. Yeah, the fact that the phrase sex tape was brought up in a presidential debate. Why? Like, how is this really the state of our election right now? It's a strange kind of history being made. It's awful that we watch a debate where we're rating one candidate on how well she defends her policies and her party's stances, and we're rating the other candidate on how much he doesn't come across as a a raving, knuckle-dragging lunatic. Yeah, it's, you know, we were talking about, oh, Trump had a much better performance. Now, think about the curve that we're grading on. He didn't pee on his leg. Mm -hmm. He didn't pee on his leg. He appeared to get under Hillary's skin. He got some great zingers. There were actually a couple moments tonight where I thought it appeared that they were going to pivot towards policy. Mm-hmm. How do you like that alliteration? And then it just veered right back into the ravine again. Well, and then when he did talk about policy, he didn't say anything. Yeah. He always wound up redirecting it around to a totally different topic. Yeah. He couldn't stay on his mark. I mean, maybe he said on his mark, but he couldn't stay on the question that was being asked. Repeatedly, the moderators had to ask him, this, or repeat rather, this was the question you were asked. And Can even an then, he still wouldn't answer. Yeah. And this is something we've talked about on the show before, but it's doing a disservice actually to both candidates. But more than that, it's doing a disservice to the electorate because the future is unknowable. The polls suggest that Hillary Clinton will be our next president. Our job as citizens doesn't end when Hillary becomes president, whether you're a Democrat, whether you're a Republican, whether you're independent in opposition to her candidacy. We all have a responsibility to whoever the next president is to hold this person accountable. Like, there are big swaths of, you know, Hillary's record, uh, especially as she's someone who's running on continuing so many of Obama's policies, policies that I personally wasn't crazy about and would love to see an in-depth discussion of these. But, you know, this debate ended with an audience member in the town hall wasting a question on 
if you guys didn't watch this at home, I swear this actually happened. These two can back me up. Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton were asked to say something nice about the other to end this debate. To end a debate that took place in St. Louis, Missouri, with no questions about over-militarization of police, with no questions about the Black Lives Matter movement, with no questions about student loans, with no questions so, so relevant to so many Americans in St. Louis and across the country, uh, we did get in a knock on climate change there at the very end, and we will come back to climate change and the man who brought that up later in the show. But this is a time where these candidates are supposed to be center stage for us to examine them on the issues. And instead, we're sitting here shoveling popcorn into our mouths going, ooh, do we think they're going to fight? Yeah, and it shows that so much of this feels like you're on a playground, like you're asking children to say something nice to each other. And not just with the say something nice comment, but like Trump's response to, so you did this albeit legal, but definitely unethical thing by evading paying federal taxes. And his response is, but Hillary's friends do it. Like It was pathological. There was that. There was the, you know, the, he's the guy who always has to get in the last word. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's like, well, well, you know, well, she said it. Well, you never interrupt her. It was, it was very strange for a guy who centers himself so frequently in his dialogue to watch him try and, and de-center himself, if that's the word, every time... Uh, a perceived disadvantage for him came up and honestly Hillary didn't come off a whole lot better you know she's not she will never be Barack Obama she will never be Michelle Obama she will never be Elizabeth Warren in terms of great oration this is not her game we recognize this I honestly thought that she was doing better during the periods when Trump kept interrupting her because at least then she was a sympathetic figure when she was allowed to have the full breadth of her two minutes she kind of went on walkabout a little bit and i found mm. a lot of her you can tell i wonder if she kind of prepped for being interrupted a lot of the time because you could tell she was very she was hesitant in some of her longer answers and i i don't want to put thoughts in her head but i almost thought she was expecting to be interrupted and when she wasn't she didn't really know what to do it almost seemed like at points she was well, she was sticking to her campaign messages, mm-hmm. but whenever she was caught off guard, you could see her real feelings come through. And I thought that was so much more powerful. You know, speaking of her real feelings coming through, I actually forgot until this moment because so much else has happened in the past two hours that we began the night with Donald Trump lining his guest seats with a group of women who have in the past accused Bill Clinton of various forms of sexual assault. Yeah. As the only man in the room, <laughs> I feel like my opinion probably has the least value on this. But to me, it, look, it, just, it, it has the immediate look of Trump excuse. Well, it's once again the whole thing of, okay, I, I said these terrible things. And by saying, you know, t- talking about, you know, the whole thing with the bus, I don't want to repeat anything he said on that bus. But then turning around and, and deflecting it to, but here's the thing that another man has done. Here are people who have brought accusations against yeah. Hillary's husband. It comes back to normalization. Yes. Completely. Saying that it's locker room talk mm-hmm. makes it suddenly excusable. Like, yeah. oh, well, it's not a big deal because it was only the guys talking. Well, and he also has women who have accusations against him. That's the thing, is that he goes and he lines up. I mean, it becomes this really ugly, disgusting display of who can point more fingers at the other person for doing, for doing and saying the most awful things to and about women. Mm-hmm. 
it's this weird kind of morbid one-upsmanship. And this is exactly the kind of extremely thorny issue that a campaign with a foregone conclusion for nominee, this could have been worked through in public. Like, this could have been a real opportunity for discourse. And it's just been wasted on personality politics. Yeah. Something I wanted to talk about, uh, kind of a, well, I was going to say shocking moment, but really, I, we should have all seen this one coming. When they were asked, how will you help fight Islamophobia? Trump said, we have a problem. And at first, for a split second, I thought he was going to acknowledge that we have a problem in this country with Islamophobia. And instead, he said that the problem is radical Islamic terror and completely... Mukta, who was asking that question about Islamophobia? A Muslim woman. How interesting. Right? Wouldn't you think that she might have personal experience with this? Well, I think Trump thinks she has personal experience with this because he said that he needs every Muslim in the country to be the eyes and ears of this. And then, honestly, Hillary's response was, in my opinion, only marginally better. Yeah, not much better. It was a repackaging of the same thing, of like putting the responsibility of stopping as Trump would say, radical Islamic terror, that the the responsibility of stopping terrorism in this country weighs completely on the Muslim community, on every Muslim in America. That that would be like saying every white person has to stop the Klan. Every white person has to stop Dylan Roof, you know, and we don't do that. We don't put that kind of pressure on any other community until we're talking about terrorism for Muslims. And I think... Well, Trump, of course, just fed into the same field for rhetoric, but we also need to examine Hillary's response because that's a standard Democratic Party response. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's problematic. It's, it's not the right answer, honestly, in my opinion. Because of the way, I'm sure it doesn't feel like it right now at the end of a day like today, but because of the way technology has exploded and allowed all of us to have all these wide-ranging discussions in real time, we could have had deep, deep webs of conversation about all these issues throughout this entire campaign if the GOP had put forth a nominee like Mitt Romney. Mm -hmm. This is the second time on this show that I am saying openly that I miss Mitt Romney. But don't even go back to the past. If it had been Jeb Bush, if we had been in for another Bush-Clinton campaign, and that would have been tiresome in its own way. But the thing about Jeb Bush and and Romney uh, and a lot of the other guys in the field is that you had the luxury, what feels like a luxury now, of disagreeing with them on policy. Mm Mm-hmm. Like Trump's, the the genius maybe of this in retrospect is Trump's entire focus of this election on his personality. Nobody has ever successfully held him to account for not putting forth policy positions. Like it, it feels like Hillary is out there playing tennis against a garage wall, against a garage door by herself. And that doesn't serve her. It doesn't serve, by the way, the half of the country that adheres to the GOP, who I'm sure, you know, they're not feeling much better either right now, because certainly their policy positions are not being heard because the top line from this debate is check out sex tape. And it's, you know, it's certainly not comforting to those of us a little bit further to the left who aren't super crazy with the prospect of another Clinton administration. It's nobody's winning here. No, and people have already made up their minds. 
they've already decided and they're deciding along party lines and more along the lines of well i hate hillary more or i hate trump more I mean, on either side of it, really interesting. I mean, and also the, the difference between the two candidates for me, the biggest difference is that we can look at Hillary and we can talk about her policies. Mm-hmm. We can see the point to her discussing them in public, talking points on her website and Twitter and all that stuff that she's put these, these platform information out. For Trump, I have to dig to find what Trump's platform is. And he didn't write it. No. I don't think he even knows what his platform is. No, remember, this was a big story during the, like, right around the time of the conventions of all the, the minds on the right that were, like, devising this platform, and he wasn't really central to the process. Because, and as we saw on the debate stage, he contradicted his running mate on the debate stage. Yeah. I've never seen that happen before. That was kind of amazing. I, <laughs> I actually came away... This is funny. I respect Trump's approach to that more than I respect Mike Pence's because Pence's reaction to, you know, being confronted with these things that Trump said was what was what he said. He said what? No, no, he didn't. He definitely didn't say these completely verifiable things. And Trump was just like, nah, <laughs> and I appreciate that yeah. on some level. It's like, well, I disagree with him. He's wrong. I mean, he's he's running yeah. as my vice president, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. we don't have to agree on everything. But as somebody who's like politically, I think this is no great secret, a little more to the right than most of my staff, uh, you know, on issues like guns, on issues like military spending. I think I'm probably pretty far to the right of most of the people who work for me. I feel lost right now. Because there's no anchor on the right. There's nothing to hold on to. It's just a drift in the sea of this country in turmoil. So yeah, it's totally understandable that there's no, there is not a Republican candidate or a right-wing candidate on the ticket this year for president, there's Trump, which is something else entirely. I hate to boil this down to something so pat when we've just been just been talking about how there are so many complex issues that are missing out, but do you feel the closer we get to November, the more we're staring at a literal case of the devil we know and the devil we don't? I think it's the devil. I think they're both devils we know, actually, that we're looking at. <laughs> yeah. I think one... Trump, too? I think we know Trump. Trump has been on our televisions and selling us steaks and fake universities for decades. We know Trump, but there's something that feels so unpredictable about him. Mm-hmm. I think because it seems, it does feel... That's, like where, I back, went, that's where I arrived at the, the devil we don't, because it, did you have any idea how tonight was going to go? No, no, I mean, it feels like he doesn't even know what he would do. Like, talking about the Affordable Care Act, he was like, I will repeal the Affordable Care Act... But everyone will still have affordable health care, and it's going to be better health care. How, How are you going to do that? He doesn't know. That's what scares me. Like I feel like we all have an idea of who he is, but we don't have an idea of what he'll do. Mm. So you have, by that token, this swath of people who are going to be casting votes for Hillary Clinton because, well, at least I know what I'm getting. That also shouldn't be good enough. No. Like, she should be facing questions that aren't about her opponent's Twitter feed. Mm -hmm. You know, she should be facing questions on privacy law. She should be facing questions on the surveillance state. She should be facing questions on drone strike. And instead it's just, well, at three in the morning, my opponent tweeted, now fuck that. Fuck this entire process. Uh, This is the point in which I should break away and remind you, as I reminded all MTV News readers in the middle of tonight, that if you go to electthis.com, MTV's 
election website, you will find a big red button that says register now. And you will be taken to our sister site, Rock the Vote, uh, who we partnered with again in this election. Because despite our despair, this shit is still important. The levels of governance that affect your life on the day-to-day are going to be up for grabs on November 8th, just like the race for president, and this shit is arguably more important. You are never going to have a beer with Donald Trump. You are never going to have a beer with Hillary Clinton. Don't worry about that. Worry about your school board. Worry about your state house. Worry about your city council. Worry about your prosecutor. If you think voting doesn't matter because the debates are stupid and the presidential race is worse than stupid, ask the communities that voted out the prosecutors in the Tamir Rice and Laquan McDonald cases what they think about voting down ballot. Like, this stuff doesn't stop mattering. I want to reiterate, just because we are so rightfully disillusioned with the presidential race, there's still a lot going on. And no matter what, we can't get so disheartened as to drop out entirely. I'm just going to say yes to all of that. Amen. I'm going to close out this little late night decompression session with a nod to the one bright spot in the debate. And you all know who I'm talking about. At like 730 with the debate winding down, I was griping that we hadn't heard any questions about student loans, that we hadn't heard any questions about police brutality, that we hadn't heard any questions about climate change. Lo and behold, an angel emerged from the audience, an angel in a red cable knit half zip sweater. And he had a question about environmental policy. Maybe more importantly, not maybe more importantly, he brought up an issue that we had been screaming about for the entirety of the debates process that we weren't hearing enough about. I'm very glad that we got to hear some platitudes on climate change. But guys, his name was Kenneth Bone. And he rocked that apple cinnamon red polo cable knit pullover with the confidence of a gladiator. Kenneth Bone. Yeah, Kenneth Bone. Shout out to you. Shout out to you, Kenneth Bone. You're a meme now and you probably don't know that yet. Um, I don't know if Kenneth Bone has a smartphone. You could see him in the post-debate footage walking around with a disposable camera, like snapping pictures of things. I have not ruled out the possibility that Kenneth Bone was sent from the past to warn us about, you know, where we were headed down this path. I don't know how he would know that in the past, but how else would he have a disposable (laughs) camera? I haven't worked this out yet. Anyway. He is timeless. He is timeless. He is timeless. He is our timeless American angel. Finally, a white man of use in this election. Long overdue. (laughs) Anyway, uh, we're going to peace out from the studio here. We're going to hop in our cars. We're going to drive home under a darkening L.A. sky and Maybe bumps and bone thugs and harmony because I miss my Uncle Kenneth Bone already. That'll do it for tonight's edition of Stakes After Dark. Sad. Uh, continued reminder that those with objections to this title should direct them to MTV executive editor Alex Papadimus. This is not our fault. Don't at me. Don't email us. <laughs> I'm Holly Anderson, MTV's director of politics and news. Good night, Mukta Mohan. Good night, Marcus Ellsworth. Thanks for having us. It was a pleasure. Kind of. (laughs) (laughs) Good night, everybody.